Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. be with them. They've got terrific people working there, helping me out, and uh, hopefully making this show a little bit better for all you guys, too. So, I hope that some of you are enjoying this in podcast form today. I am going to re-air the show. Uh, Tonight's April 12th, in case you're listening to this like a week later, so it's already done, but I will be airing the show live on Twitch later on. And uh, for any of you who are new to this podcast, basically for the last couple of months, it's been a Twitch show. My name's Tom Wassel. I'm a former host at 710 ESPN Seattle. I worked at ESPN in Bristol before that. And as, uh, with 15 years of radio experience under my belt, I figured I'd try to get out there and try to do my own thing. And um, I'm still here in Seattle. I've covered Seattle sports for the last 10 years. So for the most part, that's what you're going to be hearing about. Now, I venture out and I talk about different things. It'll be a little politics, a little music, a little philosophy, a little this, a little that incorporated in there. But mostly it'll all be uh, stemming from topics that are going on within Seattle sports. So I figured who better here at the beginning of baseball season to come on episode one of the Tom Walsall Show on the Believe Podcast Network and the voice of the Seattle Mariners who are looking pretty good this year so far. A little up and down, but uh, certainly promising. The voice of the Mariners, Rick Riz, joins us. Boy, it is just, uh, it's wonderful to see you and wonderful to hear you again. Hopefully you can get out on the road with the team again, because I know we've still got uh, COVID restrictions, but uh, every April, you know, we get these maybe one week or so of just wonderful, you know, sunny weather, no clouds, and it just screams baseball, does it not? Yeah, finally, because the last few nights and days out at, uh, you know, T-Mobile Park, while the team's been on the road, it's been rather chilly, uh, especially early in the morning because we had all day games, you know, in Minnesota against the Twins. And it was like 39 degrees, you know, at the start of the broadcast. But now it's sunny out. The weather is going to get warmer as the week goes along. So it really does feel like baseball. The season is underway. So that feels great. We have fans in the stands, 9,000 fans at home at T-Mobile Park. So we're getting closer and closer to normal and uh, having a lot of fun watching this team play baseball. Right. And you can tell how excited I am because I've got my Mariners, yeah. set, my, my Seth Smith jersey on that the Graz bought for me about what, four years ago or so. He was a hot topic of conversation in those days, as yeah. you may remember. But uh, look, I may say this in one form or another every year, because there's always something to look forward to in a baseball season. Things you're curious about, players you're, you know, you're interested in watching, see how they develop. But boy, 
this year, especially after having a truncated season last year and all the players that are going to be involved. I'm not going to say it's prove it time because these guys are still very young players, but certainly we want to watch their progress. I mean, just give me maybe your thoughts on that and just a smidge of what you've seen through the first handful of games. No, I think I think the real hope for this ball club, you know, is are the young players. And we saw it happen uh, two years ago prior to COVID, uh, you know, in September of 2019. We brought up uh, Kyle Lewis in September after having a good year at AA Arkansas. We brought up Sheffield and Dunn as well, Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn. And and that was a great experience because it's nice to get your feet wet. Mm. Nice to get that first hit, that first home run, the first strikeout, a first opportunity to get a win and then they were ready to really take off when Kyle Lewis came up in September of 19 if you recall he had a home run in his first game he had home runs at six of ten and then he was ready to go at spring training last year and he goes out and he becomes the American League Rookie of the Year unanimous choice Justice Sheffield last year had that September experience that paved the way for a, a good year last year in a shortened season and also Justin Dunn got some of the jitters out of the way. And for a three-star period, he was one of the better pitchers in the American League last year with six scoreless innings in two uh, consecutive starts, giving up only one hit. So that's a great experience. But the big thing for me, and I hope for the fans, uh, are the young players that are in this organization right now because Jerry DePoto has done a fabulous job. He really has. Three years ago, he started this rebuild, you know, with the trade of James Paxton to New York and the trade of Robbie Cano and Edwin Diaz also to New York, to the Mets, to the Yankees. And he really loaded up this organization with very, very talented young players. And then the drafts, they've drafted very well, going after college uh, pitching. And now Jerry has taken this organization, Tom, from one of the worst farm systems in all of baseball just three years ago to the second or third best, depending on which one you look at, farm system in baseball. And we're seeing these kids, you know, get a chance to play and uh, find out what it's like to be here, have success. And they're building a core of young players that are going to get us to the playoffs and have that sustainability as well to win. So that's what I'm really excited about right now. You know, I'm glad you brought up the word playoffs because, you know, there's more playoff spots available now, obviously, than there were, say, 20 years ago. So, you know, maybe they sniff that, maybe they don't. But you know, eventually, obviously, that's the hope that they're going to get there. I'm just curious for people who have been a part of the organization, not just players, but people like yourself or, you know, Kevin Martinez, Randy Adamack, obviously, you know, Scott Service has been here a while now. What would it mean to people like you guys just to be able to broadcast another playoff game, to see those, you know, banners up all around the stadium and to see Fox sports coming in and just the, the fee, the, to be in that environment again. Well, a feeling obviously would be amazing because that's why you play the game. That's why you put on a uniform. That's why you work for an organization. You want to see them do well. You want to get to the playoffs because, we all saw what could happen once we finally got to the playoffs in 1995. I mean, we set this town on fire and helped save baseball here. Without that team in 1995, we wouldn't be here. So, you know, every time I see somebody else, you know, going to the playoffs or winning the World Series, I'm a little jealous. I want to get there. They want to get there. The fans want to get there. The organization wants to get the fans there. And I think this place is going to go 
absolutely crazy when we do. And I believe we're going to get there. I really do. I do, too. And it's funny. I was doing a I was a guest on a podcast the other day and we were the topic of discussion was the 1997 Mariners, kind of the maybe the 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 lost team, so to speak, of the four playoff teams that they had for one reason or another. And we were looking through the attendance figures that year and like in May of 97. Right. As a carryover from 95, they're playing yeah. Baltimore, May, you know, and they're drawing 57,000 at the Kingdom on a Saturday night. I mean, this is two years or maybe a year and a half or so removed from 1995, 96, kind of an off year. But the fans were ready once they made that yeah. statement in 95. I think just looking ahead here, if they can at least make a statement this year that they're going to oh, be yeah. around like that's going to be the biggest part of it. Oh, we're going to get there. Uh, even in 1995, Tom, uh, we weren't drawing that many fans because we started the season. Ken Griffey Jr. was hurt on May the 26th. He shattered his wrist, was out for three months. And the ball club on August the 1st was 13 and a half games out of first place. So we really weren't drawing fans. Junior fortunately came back and uh, joined a great cast, Edgar Martinez and Randy Johnson and Mike Blowers and Jay Buhner. You know all the guys. Mm. And then we started winning and California started losing. And then we, you know, we were still drawing like 15, 16,000 fans in August and early September. But then when junior came back, the ball club is starting to win and the angels are losing. Then the crowd started to pick up 20,000, 30,000, 35, 40, 45,000, then 50,000 people at the end of the season, the regular season, when we ended up with a tie with the California angels and the one game playoff. And, and Dave Niehaus and I always said we just needed to give the fan base here in Seattle a reason to get excited and come out to the ballpark, and that 95 ball club did. Now you have that fan base that is energized and ready to you know support this ball club. Now you come to uh, 2001 mm. where you have that incredible ball club that goes out and wins 116 games, more wins than any team in the history of the game of baseball. And the Mariners outdraw everybody in baseball for two years. Right. We, we drew three and a half million fans in 2001 and 2002. And, uh, you know, right up here in our little burb of, of the country. So we have the greatest fans, I think, in baseball. All they need is something to get excited about. And they are going to get excited, Tom. I guarantee it about the ball club. We're going to get there. You know, this is just one of those little baseball things that I've always wanted to ask somebody and I've never really gotten around to it. You brought up the, uh, you know, the 95 team and the comeback against the Angels, like in the, within the division. Now, I'm not sure, I don't remember in that one game playoff if Langston started for California or if he just started. came, he started. So he made it like deep into the game then. I've only, deep in the game, yeah. Right. I've always found it so, right, right. I've always found it strange that, you know, he was like a mar- he was one of the first great Mariner players. Terrific pitcher for a, a, a long stretch in the eighties there. And I always found it odd that on the Everybody Scores play <laughs> that, that you authored, Langston is sitting there on his butt on home plate. He was the one who was really the the victim of that. He like a former Mariner hero. I always thought that that was kind of a strange irony. And, and Mark is somebody who's been terrific to us in the booth over oh, the years. He always comes I over love, and talks to Mark. us. Yeah. Like, have you ever talked to him about that? Like how he felt about that? Yeah, like many, many, many times. That was an incredible play. 
And the way that he got got involved was was incredible. It was uh, first of all to the start of the game. It was Randy Johnson and it's Mark Langston, and the Mariners traded away Langston after the '89 season to the Montreal Expos to get three guys. We went, who are these guys? <laughs> Randy Johnson, Brian Holman, and Gene Harris. And Gene Harris, who walked away from baseball because I was there when he walked out of the Metrodome a few years later, he was the key to the deal. But here comes Randy Johnson, who becomes a Hall of Fame pitcher. Brian Holman was more mature as a pitcher than any of the three. He, he would have had a great career in baseball had he not, you know, had labrum yeah. and rotator cuff problems, and everything like that. So it was Randy Johnson against Mark Langston. Langston, we traded away for Randy Johnson to really set up the story going into that ball game. And it was a great duel until the bottom of the seventh inning. Bases loaded, as you know, a one nothing game. So Langston, Langston is pitching really well as well. And here comes uh, Luis. So first of all, uh, let's say uh, Vince Coleman comes up yeah. and has a long at bat with the bases loaded. You know, the Blowers and, and Joey and Tino are, are aboard. And Coleman, it's a line drive in the right field. Low liner, Tim Salmon comes in and makes a great sliding catch on his knees. Blowers can't score because he doesn't know if the ball is going to drop in for a hit or if Salmon is going to catch the ball. So he can't score. So now the bases are loaded. And here comes Luis Soho on the first pitch. Swing at a ground ball, sneaks on by Snow, down the right field line of the bullpen. Here comes Flowers. Here comes Tino. Here comes Joy. The throw home, cut off by Langston. The relay home gets up by Allenson. Cora scores. Here comes Soho. Soho scores. Everybody scores. You know, it was a, a one of the biggest hits in our franchise history, that extra base hit by Luis Soho, where everybody scored. But Langston, since the ball is down the right field line into the corner, Salmon has to go get it. He is on the first base line. Why? I don't know. But uh, Salmon's throw is over the head of J.T. Snow. And uh, so Langston cuts off the ball on the first base line, fires it to Allenson. He threw it so hard, he threw it right on by Allenson. Now he's got to cover home. Because <laughs> here comes Soho trying to score. So uh, Allenson goes, gets the ball, throws it back to Mark. Now he's at home plate trying to play the tag on Soho. And Soho slides in. He scores. And there's this picture of Mark Langston. Lying on his back, which told the entire story it did. of of that play, of the game, of the season. And uh, it was just remarkable how Mark was all in the middle of it. Now, every day the Angels are in town, every day anybody's in town, there's a picture of that play in the hallway behind our radio booths. And Mark has to walk by that oh. picture every day and see himself lying on the ground like this, looking up into the ceiling of the, the kingdom. So I took a little piece of paper and I put it over Mark's, you know, face, you know, so he, he wouldn't have to look at it, you know, as, as just as a joke. But it was remarkable how he was right there in the middle of that play. And it was one of the biggest plays in the history of our franchise. It is. And, you know, there are differing opinions among athletes as to whether or not they'd rather be a footnote on the wrong side of history or not be part of something like that at all. I mean, similarly, in the 78 playoff game between Boston and New York, Mike Torres, who was the pitcher for the Red Sox that day, was he won a championship the year before with the Yankees, and here he is shutting them down the following year at Fenway, and then he gives up Bucky Dent's home run. It's like, yeah. you know, would you rather be part of history or would you rather, you know, face your old team and then get whacked? I mean, it's, it's crazy, but I mean... God, I mean, that would be that the modern day equivalent of that play would be like 
facing Taiwan Walker or something, right? And having him pitch against the Mariners in a big game, like a former player who was, you know, pretty good for a while or something like that. But hopefully we'll get that far. Hopefully we will. Yeah. And um, win like, like they did. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. <clears throat> um, I'm curious, other than the 95 season, is there a moment, because, I mean, there's like probably four or five moments, right, within the span of a, two weeks right there that you could pick from. But other yeah. than the 95 season, are there any, which other moments jump out to you as, wow, I just, I was part of that? Maybe it's not even a call you made, just something that you saw when you were at a game. Yeah, I think one of the most amazing things I ever saw was in September of 2001. The Mariners were on their way to... Uh, you know, setting the record for most wins in a season. And then uh, the horrific tragedy of, uh, you know, 9-11, you know, in New York, uh, the plane that hit the Pentagon and the plane that, you know, crashed in a field in in Pennsylvania. We just didn't know what was going on in our world at the time. Everybody, everything had just shut down. How Mm. could it possibly happen? I'll never forget Dave Niehaus waking me up at 7 o'clock in the morning. We were in Anaheim. And yelling at me on the phone, I'm still asleep, says, turn on the TV set. I go, why, Dave? He said, just turn it on. I said, what station? He said, any station. And then we sat there in our respective rooms watching what was going on. And then, you know, our world stopped for a week. Baseball was shut down. And we we ended up resuming the baseball season, which Major League Baseball decided was the right thing to do to help the country come back from one of the scariest times in our history. And then we kept winning. Then the Mariners clinched because they were so far out in front. They were 20 and four in April and 20 and four in May. They were on their way to 116 wins. Then we clinched in Seattle. And uh, I'll never forget this as long as I live. One of the greatest moments I've ever seen. Uh, here comes Mike Cameron and Mark McLemore. Everybody's celebrating emotionally, respectfully, uh, division title on the mound. Everybody went around the mound, took a knee, said a prayer. And there's McLemore. Mark McLemore and uh, Mike Cameron with the American flag. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm up in the booth bawling my eyes out, you know, uh, considering what where we were as a country, what the Mariners had accomplished, you know, winning the division and bringing so many people together in our community to help heal from one of our biggest wounds ever in the history of our country. And to watch that unfold, Tom, was absolutely remarkable. And uh, it was a one of a kind moment. So that that moment really stands out in my mind. That was such an amazing year to see a little guy come over from Japan. who mm. We had no idea who this guy was, Ichiro Suzuki. And he becomes the American League Rookie of the Year and the American League MVP. Brett Boone had an incredible year. He hit 331 and 37 home runs and 141 RBIs. And Mike Cameron replacing a junior in center field. I didn't think anybody could possibly do that, but he did. And it was just an amazing team that Lou Pinella managed to amazing heights that year. But it just happened to be New York time in the playoffs. Yeah. And unfortunately, going forward, I mean, there was still just the one wild card as opposed to, you know, we got like yeah. 50 of them now. Um, I mean, they, the Mariners would have made the playoffs the next two years, I believe, if there were another yeah. wild card, because they won 93 games each time. I mean, coming yeah. off of 2001 and even 2002, you guys probably thought that you were going to have a good team for, you know, going away, right? For the time. next couple of years, right? 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. With that club, you know, coming off a 116-win season, it was a tremendous ball club. They were a team, you know, all the way from Ichiro, who's turned himself into a Hall of Famer, to Stan Javier coming off the bench, doing what he did. David Bell was our third baseman. Carlos Guillen, Brad Boone. Uh, John Olerud was a joy to watch over there at first base. Mm -hmm. Dan Wilson, Edgar was still there, and Jay Buna was still there. Uh, I think Ricky Henderson came over at one point, didn't he? Well, who's that? Didn't Ricky Henderson come over at one point, too? That was in 2000. That was 2000. You're right. Yep. 2000. Yep. He played 92 games for us, and that was a joy to have Ricky around, you know, <laughs> uh, to teach the younger guys how to steal a base, you know, and, and win ball games, which he did, by the way, in the playoffs. He was on a third base. He scored the winning run when Carlos Guillen had that bunt base hit past Frank Thomas yep. to sweep the White Sox in the, in the division series. But, yeah, that was a real – Real special time for this uh, for this organization. Yeah, you know, and just in coming back around to something I just asked you in talking about 97, to me, that's the one playoff year that's kind of, it's missing that crowning moment. I mean, 95, take your pick. 2000, you just said the bunt by Carlos Quentin, not Carlos Quentin. Um, Carlos Carlos Guillen. Guillen. Yeah, Carlos Quentin. Uh, and then, of course, 2000, 2001 with 160 wins, 90, 97 yeah. kind of lacks that. But, you know, the Mariners as few times as they've actually made the postseason, this team is fortunate and the fan base is fortunate, I think, to have really a ton of great memories and a ton of great players to look back on. It's not yeah. like, you know, there's nothing to celebrate. I mean, think about how many guys that are either in the Mariners Hall of Fame or could be eligible, you know, one day. I mean, there is, there's enough history on here or in oh, here yeah. where I think the fans can be proud of that. Absolutely. And, and as soon as you walk into T-Mobile Park and if if you look up there in left center field, there's Junior's retired number 24. There's Edgar's retired number 11. Outside the ballpark, there's a statue of the greatest player I've ever seen, mm. Ken Griffey Jr. Out in right center field on the concourse, there's a statue of uh, the greatest broadcaster you know, I've ever met and had the privilege of working with for 25 years, Dave Niehaus. Uh, there's probably going to be another statue of uh, Edgar Martinez. Uh, Ichiro is going to the Hall of Fame. So if we really look back at our history, there's there's a lot of good things to look at. But the crowning jewel is, you know, to get to the World Series. And we, and we need to do that. And we're going to do that with this organization. I really believe in what Jerry DePoto has done. That's why I'm so excited, you know, to see these kids. Right now, we've got Kyle Lewis with us, although he's hurt right now. He's going to be coming back, hopefully, in the next uh, few days. Mm -hmm. And Sheffield and Dunn, like I said, in the rotation. But you're going to see Jared Kelnick here and Julio Rodriguez and Noel B. Marte and Cal Raleigh and Logan Gilbert and George Kirby and Emerson Hancock mm -hmm. and Aaron Fletcher. And, uh, you know, there's many more kids on the way, one wave after another. But we got to get them here. It's it's not easy to get here. It's really tough to get to the big leagues. It's even tougher to stay here. And they'll dictate when they're ready, you know. And when they're all ready and when they're all here together, uh, man, this club is really going to do some great things. I think I think we're going to surprise a lot of people right now with this club. And we are. We're, you know, five and four to start the year. Just won two out of three on the road in Minnesota against a team that won the American League Central. So I'm really fired up about this ball club right now and especially what we're going to go be seeing in the future. Can you sense 
uh, I don't know, a change in attitude amongst the players. Like, you know, you get different groups of players. Some guys are around for a while, but each year, every team has its own personality, right? Can you sense something different here this year or maybe just something that's evolved from last year, anything like that? No, I can absolutely sense it. And uh, even though we can't uh, go into the office or couldn't go in the office or the clubhouse yeah. or on the field of spring training, you know, where you can really sense it because you can have a chance to really talk with the guys. We can't talk to them unless we do this, you know, on, yeah. on Zoom, you know. But visiting with them as they move from field to field down there at spring training and watching and listening to the interviews that we can do, uh, yeah, you can you can sense there's something special going on here, and they know it. You know, Kyle Seeger is really excited. He's he's, I think, off to a really good start, and he's going to have a great year. It's great to have Mitch Haniger back and healthy. It's a shame that you know he was hurt the last uh, basically year and a half. Tom Murphy was out all of last year, but it's the young players that you know they energize the the veteran guys. The veteran guys show the young guys you know, how to prepare and be a professional baseball player and the right way to play the game. And they, they know that there's something special right here. They've taken ownership in it. Uh, Seager has had just a, an incredible career here, and I think he's going to be in the Mariners Hall of Fame one day. I do, too. So, you know, right now, he had a home run the other day to give us a lead in the seventh inning. That was his 17th home run of his career that that gave us a lead from the seventh inning on. Only Ken Griffey Jr. has had more of those home runs, 21 of them in his career. Then there's Jay Buhner who's had about 16 of them. So I really like what I see the mix of the veterans and the young players. And uh, this, this is a really exciting time for this ball club. I've got a, um, an outside, man, maybe it's not so outside the box <laughs> candidate for uh, Mariners hall of fame. What do you think about a guy like Nelson Cruz, who wouldn't hear all that long, but when he was, meant everything to the team, great guy, et cetera. What do you think? Uh, I tell you what, in those four years uh, that he was with us from 2015 to 2018, he was remarkable. He hit 284 with 163 of his 421 home runs. He had 414 runs batted in in four years. He averaged over 100 RBIs. You know, so I think he'd be a great choice. Adrian Beltre, you know, made yeah. an impact, you know, here as well. Uh, going back in history, Mark Langston. I think there's a number of uh, great choices. Besides that, too, uh, you, you can't find a better human being than Nelly Cruz. Here's a guy that bought a, a fire truck and an ambulance for his little town in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And it just so happened, I think it was his mother, grandmother had an emergency and and went to the hospital in one of the ambulances that he purchased, you know, for his town. So he's just one of the nicest guys in the world. So uh, I think you can honor Nelson Cruz so many ways along the way, you know, as a Texas Ranger, a Seattle Mariner, and now even as a Minnesota Twins. He's just a great guy. I love the guy. Yeah. And just while he's on my mind, you know, I, a lot of Mariner fans would probably laugh or even mock me for saying this, but one of my greatest memories in covering this team over the last 10 years is actually in a game that they lost. It was game 161 of 20, 
Oh, shoot. Was it 16? Where there was game 161 against Oakland, where they were on the verge of making the playoffs and they were down oh, yeah. and Nelson Cruz they lost their last game. Right. And Nelson Cruz, yeah. I think, hit the grand slam or, or a three run home or something like that to come back. I mean, maybe some people think that's emblematic of what the Mariners are. Like my favorite memory is a loss. I don't know. But like, no, no, don't have <laughs> you know? that be your favorite memory. Please. <laughs> well, there are, there are others. I'll tell you. Good. A game they won, like Felix walking off the mound oh. in game 162, I think in 2014, uh, a game that it was out of their control. I think uh, Oakland won or something, uh, and that ended up eliminating the Mariners. But Felix leaving the mound to a rousing packed house yeah. ovation. I mean, just, you know, there are that's the thing about baseball. It doesn't have to be the big game seven World Series walk up in order to have that kind of a special memory. It can, it can, it can be a lot of things. And I'm, I'm just, you know, exactly. you, you as a kid, I'm sure you have those kinds of memories too. Oh yeah. Growing up in Chicago. Uh, well, not too many with the white Sox and the Cubs, but I have great memories you yeah. know, of the players. And the guy that really stands out for me who gave his heart and soul to this organization was Felix Hernandez. Mm. You know, he's going to be in the Mariners hall of fame. That, that that's that you, they, you, they can go ahead and get ready for that day down yeah. the road. You know, and as far as I'm concerned, Felix is a Hall of Famer as well, because my my qualification for a Hall of Famer is were you the dominant player at your position in the decade in which you played? And yes, he tailed off the last few years because of injuries. But for what he accomplished, his body of work in the decade in which he started for this organization, he came up as a as a 19 year old kid in 2005. I think Felix Hernandez, to me, Watching him pitch all those games where he went eight or more innings and gave up only one or fewer runs, all those starts, never complained. He just went out there and battled, gave the Mariners a chance to win, tying award, uh, and he should have won a second one, you know, when I, it went to Corey Kluber, not to take oh, it yeah, yeah. from Kluber, but he had a better year. I think he had a better year than Kluber. But uh, I, I think Felix Hernandez is going to be in the Mariners Hall of Fame as well one day, and, and I, I really believe he should be in the Hall of Fame as well in, in Cooperstown, New York. This will be my last question to you because I know you got to run, but um, it's all right. this is just one of those things, Rick, that I, I know the game is always going to change. It's always going to evolve in certain ways. And, you know, we just roll with it. It's fine. But I really miss the starting pitcher that yeah. – that not only deep in the game. Yeah, that not only can go eight innings, but is allowed to. I mean, I'm sure that there's yeah. pitchers out there now who have that ability because maybe their arm isn't already blown out. But they probably wouldn't even allow them to now because it's just the way you know you manage pitchers. And, and it, you know, then you bring in one reliever, you know, Jeff Reardon or Lee Smith or whoever, yeah. and then then that's your game. It's so mm -hmm. much easier to ingest. Like <laughs> that's just one of those things I miss. I do too. Uh, and that's where baseball has really changed. Two two things. That's number one in my book. Where I was talking with Mark Langston about this not too long ago, and he said, "Rick, we I was ready to throw 125 pitches every start, and that's when pitchers were allowed to go seven innings, eight innings, nine innings in a ball game. And now a complete game is a as a dinosaur stat. You know, six innings." feels like a complete game now to a lot of guys mm. and we wonder why games are so long right now now you're using three four five relievers every night and if you're using four or five relievers 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 every night yeah the other manager is using four or five relievers every night so yeah pitch counts i think was one of the things that really hurt the game of baseball i think these athletes can do it 
they're in the best shape of any period in time in our baseball history. You know, they take care of themselves, but they're just not allowed to get over that 100 pitch limit. So uh, I think that was one of the things I saw with Marco Gonzalez. You know, he proved yeah. that he the lineup for that third time. And now he's the ace of this staff. He had a great year last year. He had outstanding year the year before. And he'll figure things out. He's going to get going this year. But I would I would love to see your stud pitchers pitch. And that's why I was so amazed that Kevin Cash in game six of the World Series last year for Tampa Bay took Blake Snell out of the ballgame after, what, four and two-thirds innings, giving up only two hits. He gave up a weak single to center field, took him out of the ball. That's your ace. I know. Game six of the World Series. He can rest for four months, you know, coming up. But anyway, you know, I just would love to see us swing that pendulum back. I don't know if it ever will, where starters go deep into games. They'll be better, I think. They'll be quicker. Uh, and there's the guys I think can do it. But you now you have to start. It's been so long. You have to start when you sign these guys, Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, down in the minor leagues mentally to get past that um, – mentally to get past that 100 pitch barrier. I was pulling my hair out that night, by the way, with Blake Snell. I mean, here's the thing. If you're doing what the other team wants you to do, which is get yeah, Snell out of the excited. game, they're like, oh, God, yeah, now we can go up there and hit. They were energized. Uh, yeah. Or, or, you know, you think back to even the 95 uh, game five, you know, you watch that broadcast on ABC with Musburger and um, I think Jim Cott. And they show the graphic of David Cohn and 146 pitches. And they're not even, like they say it without even blinking. It's like, yeah, Cohn's at 146 pitches. We're here in the eighth inning. It's just like, God almighty, like this guy, you know, he could go all night if they wanted him to. And plus, I think it's, yeah. I talked to David about that. They took him out finally in the bottom of the ninth inning after throwing about 157 pitches. Mm -hmm. And I saw him a year or two later. We were in the hotel in Cleveland. And, uh... He said, my fingers turned blue. He said he was pitching. They didn't know it at the time. He was pitching with a blood clot in his shoulder. Wow. His fingers were blue. Couldn't find, you know, feel his fingers anymore. And so eventually had to take him out of the ballgame after about 150 plus pitches. But those were the days where that's what the guys did. You know, they were trained physically and mentally to get through that lineup the third time and sometimes even the fourth time, you know, it was, it was a goal to start the game and shake hands with the catcher when the game was over, go nine innings. That was the goal. And if he went seven, Mark Langston told me, he said, if I went seven, I didn't do my job. So it's really changed, you know, with the pitch count and uh, you know, pitch limits for a lot of guys. But uh, I, I, that's when I love it. When I see, you know, a veteran guy, uh, like Marco Gonzalez, go deep in the ball games because he's out there long enough to win you a ball game that night and to win you a ball game the next night because you're not overusing the ball. Exactly. I mean, you're not only are you saving one pitcher, you're saving potentially four. Yeah. You know? It's crazy. Well, Rick, listen, it's always great catching up with you. It's good to see your great face, to hear your too, voice. Man. I just got to say, you know, <laughs> there's – talk about you know there's this is wrong with baseball this is wrong with baseball whatever when i'm driving in my car and i flip on uh 710 and i hear rick's voice whether he's telling a story or just commentating on the game or whatever i think to myself that's right that's what's right like that's what i like right there thank you so much rick i appreciate it thank you tom i really appreciate that i love what i do and i hope it comes through the radio and uh we're we're gonna get the fans back to where we belong in the playoffs uh 
real, real soon. So I, I love this ball club and the players and the young players and the, even the veteran guys too, of course. It was great to have, like I said, Hanniger back and Seager. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun what we do. Baseball is supposed to be fun. Yes. I hope everybody enjoys it. So thank you so much, buddy. All right, terrific job by Rick, as expected. Love talking to Rick. And, and I meant what I said at the end there. Um as far as like, you know, baseball does have its issues. I don't think that there's any debate about that. And I'll even admit, I talk about them too much. You know, like when I'm talking baseball, I tend to default to certain topics and, you know, issues with, say, pace of play, too many players, uh, you know, X-training nonsense, too many wild cards, like, I focus a lot on those things because I think that they're some of them anyway are big mistakes. You know, and I don't I don't want to see baseball destroy itself. <laughs> but one thing that maybe I need to remember is that it's not going to destroy itself. It's it's always going to be there. And in my lifetime, it's I don't think it's going to change to the point where it's going to like lose me as a fan. So maybe I should <laughs> learn to lighten up on that uh, a little bit. And, you know, when you're driving around or wherever you are and you hear Rick's voice or Aaron or Dave or um, who am I missing? Gary Hill. You know, it's it's refreshing. It is. It's familiarity. And it reminds you of home. That's what baseball always reminds me of is, you know, I think about the teams that I've loved most in my lifetime, you know, the 2003, 2004 Red Sox, you know, I can remember watching every single one of those games, not just the playoff games, but regular season games. And they were like holy wars, them versus the Yankees and whoever else. I mean, I don't know that I've ever been a bigger sports fan at any other point during my life than I was during that era. And I just pray that eventually the Mariners for your guys' sake, get to the playoffs or at least have a, a super competitive team so that you can have that similar experience because uh, it's well worth it. I mean, look, NFL, it's intensive and we love that. And it's a different experience is my point. It's just different with baseball. Um, a couple other topics here, though, that I wanted to touch on. I was talking to Rick about how, you know, pitchers, they used to go deeper into games. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. And I'm not holding anything against the modern player. I think that they, you know, they're capable, they're born capable of going deeper into games. But, you know, the wear and tear from a very young age on their arms. Uh, I mean, that's certainly one thing, the way that they, you know, they're working out. And, you know, these, these tendons are just one pitch away from snapping, it seems, at any point. So you can't overdo it. I understand the reasons why players don't, or pitchers don't go as deep into games as they used to. But this idea of seven-inning games... I mean, I just talked about how, you know, I don't think baseball is going to change that much in my lifetime. If they went to seven innings, let's just say this. I'm not going to say that I would prefer that over a nine inning game. I'll still like if it were up to me to vote, 
I'd still vote for nine inning games. But if they made it seven inning games and pitchers were able to go, let's starting pitchers were able to go six or even five. And then you have you end up with a situation where you have one closer, maybe a setup guy like you end up with two relief pitchers as opposed to like five a night, four a night. I think it would make it a lot easier on us fans to be able to connect with teams and memorize who these players are and get used to seeing certain guys so that it's not like, you know, teams are setting new records for um, uh, the number of pitchers used or players used during a season. It's just too many guys. And I think it's harder for us to remember players. I mean, go, go... Go to 2017, 2018. Look up the Mariners on baseball reference. Look at all the pitchers they used. I mean, do you remember even half of them? No, it's it's like they're up, they're down. They're up, they're down. They're here. There's no reason to form that connection between fan and player because they're they're just they're here one day and they're gone the next. You know, when they're not when you don't develop that familiarity over 162 games with players, it's just harder to relate. I think that that's a major problem that isn't really discussed all that often. You shorten the amount of innings in the game. Pitchers go deeper. You 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 um, decrease the amount of relief pitchers used. It's quicker and you end up not having to do as much work. To invest in the team, right? I, I just think that that's just the number of players used. If we could decrease that, the connection between fan and team, individual players on that team, um, I think that relationship would just be stronger. I really do. Rick also mentioned that Kyle Seeger is likely headed for the Mariners Hall of Fame. I agree with that. Actually, and it's funny because somebody tweeted that out maybe a year or two ago, and I thought to myself, man, Kyle Seeger, Mariners Hall of Famer, the numbers, I think, are the evidence is on his side for that. I mean, putting up roughly 20 home runs a year, driving in all those RBIs, and just the fact that he's been here, and he's been an excellent third baseman, and he's been here for so long. I, he, I mean, he's got an excellent case for Mariners Hall of Fame. The only thing is, he's a player who, I'm not going to call him controversial, but for a lot of people, and I'll include myself at times, He's a he's been a frustrating player because he can be very streaky for one thing. I mean, he on the good side, he can go on tears and carry a team for a week, right? Clutch hitting, great defense, uh, you know, home runs, whatever it is. And then he can go stretches where he's hitting like 170 for three or four weeks. And then he comes back up, you know, and you know the the you know the ground out slow roller over to second base when left field the hole's wide open when they put the shift on him or whatever and why can't he go the other way we can have that as a separate discussion but it, there's there's like a lot of little things that can add up for fans to a lot of frustration and to think that a frustrating player is going to make the Mariner Hall of Fame. It's just kind of a strange thought. But overall, I do think that when we look back on Seager's time as a Mariner, 
especially if the team does well, that he will be remembered in a favorable way. And really, the fact that he has not yet been on a playoff team, that really does hurt him. Because if it, anybody not named Nelson Cruz, who's played for the Mariners over the last 15 years or so, or Felix Hernandez... It's going to be really tough to remember any of them in a super favorable light because the team didn't win. And none of them had, look, guys had big moments. Don't get me wrong. There's been wonderful games here and there, but not the type when, you know, you go on YouTube and you, you know, you search... Oh, I don't know. Carlos Beltran. And then all these home runs come up from 2004 when he was with the Astros or Kirk Gibson with the Dodgers or Earl Hershiser, the Met, the 86 Mets. Like all of these teams have players, even players that weren't all that great, that were just sort of average players who have great moments. The Mariners are so in desperate need of those kinds of moments for their players so that guys who may have questionable legacies can turn them around like that. I mean, just imagine it's game 162 playoffs are on the line. Kyle Seeger hits just a, you know, a uh, ball up the middle scores a run Mariners win. That moment will be remembered forever. Even if it's not a home run, it's just a hell. If it's a sack fly, you know what I mean? That little Thing. That little contribution could do so much. I mean, Rick and I were just talking about it. You got take your pick of great moments from 95 and players, you know, lesser players like Luis Soho, who will live on forever in, in Mariner uh, fans memories. Uh, Carlos Guillen and the bunt players on this team now. And even players from the last several years, there are guys who are deserving of better legacies than they currently have. Seeger is one of them. And I know that he can be a little, um, what's the word? He can be a little gruff at times, maybe a little bit cantankerous with the media. Not always. I wouldn't say that that's his reputation, but you know, it's happened along the way, both because of his frustration and ours. And that's okay. You know, what does that mean? It means that he wants to win. It means that we want to win. So that's fine. Which leads me to the next topic here, Felix Hernandez. Now, Rick's, you know, let's let's take a, a look here at the actual numbers because Felix is such a tricky case when it comes to the Hall of Fame. And he will be in the Mariner Hall of Fame, certainly. But when we're talking about the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, it's, it's maybe a different story here. Let me pull this up here. Uh, good old baseball. God, is there a is there a website I go to <laughs> more than baseball reference or just pro football reference, whichever? Let's see. Felix Hernandez. Uh, Hernandez there we go. Okay. Rick pointed out that if you have a stretch of dominance, if you're the best or one of the best at your position for whether it's a decade, it was just say a sustained period of time. You deserve to be in the hall of fame. Okay. Let's take a look at that. Came in the league 2005 
First good year, we're going to say 2007. In 2006, he went 12 and 14, 4.52 ERA with a 1.335 whip, which actually, that's not too bad. Let's home run. We gave up a lot of home runs. Uh,. Yeah, let's start with 2007. Went 14 and 7, 392 ERA. Okay. His last good year, uh, he started 25 games in 2016, went 11 and 8, 382 ERA. I'll give him that. It was under four. Okay. So from 2007 to 2016, that's 10 years, he averaged 14 and 9 with a 306 ERA. 23 complete games, 10 shutouts, 1.174 whip, ERA plus of 129. I'm actually, eh, I, I guess, yeah, that sounds about right, come to think of it. Um, two, 2011 strikeouts. I mean, you could make a case. The only thing I think that's hurting him there is number of years is is 10 years enough i mean sandy koufax let's look him up real quick here i'm gonna guess over 10 years his era was like i'm gonna say 266 sandy koufax uh okay so from 57 to 66 He was ah, pretty close. His ERA was 270. Went 161 and 81. 270 ERA. Averaged 16 and 8 with a 1.086 whip. ERA plus of 133. What was. God, that is pretty darn close. How many strikeouts? 23.36. So he's got about. 300 more strikeouts. 135 complete games. That's absurd. You know, though, it's pretty darn close. What's his FIP? 261. What was Felix's? 325. Okay. One, again, 1174 whip, 1086 whip for. Uh, for Koufax. I know I'm kind of diving into the numbers here, which is something I don't usually do. But in this case, again, I don't care who's in the who's actually in the Baseball Hall of Fame Museum. I really just like comparing careers. And this is a good way to do it. It's a good conversation uh, by which to explore that topic. So. And by the way, I'm not trying to make the case that Felix is as good as Sandy Koufax was because. I mean, different era, more dominant. I mean, playoff appearances, all-star. I mean, Koufax was better, but Felix is not as far off from him as you may think. I, God, if he just had two more years pitching at that clip, you know, if he went 12 and 10 a couple of times, ERA around 3-3, three, 3-4, three, three, I, I think he'd definitely be in. And I think as it stands right now, he'll def he'll get votes. He's not going to be first ballot. But I 
He may have a better case than I thought before I compared those two numbers. I don't know. We'll see. Mitchapalooza. That's the topic I have up there. I've labeled it Mitchapalooza. Remember that from uh, old school? That was the name of the party that they threw for uh, for their buddy Mitch there, played by, uh, what's his name, Luke Wilson. That's a good movie. That's a movie I could watch almost any time. Anyway, um, God, if you were to pick one player over the last couple of years, maybe going back to like Franklin Gutierrez, who you could who you just wanted to see succeed after all he's been through. Remember Franklin Gutierrez? He had all these mysterious like illnesses for a while. I'm not not joking when I say this. We actually thought it was possible that his life was going to be in danger. I mean, that's how bad it was because nobody really knew what was going on. And he had, it ended up being like a couple of like stomach illnesses or something where he really, I mean, he was already slim to begin with, but he ended up losing a lot of weight and actually came back and, while he he was more or less a platoon player at that point, managed to really contribute. If you recall, me, uh, Bob, and Graz had quite the the uh, long-standing debate as to whether or not his grand slam to beat the Tigers in the middle of June of 2015 in a lost season was one of the top 25 Mariner moments of all time. I contended then that it was. I'm probably out of my mind, but my, the basis for the for the argument was that. After all this guy's gone through, he may not even live. And here he is, you know, regardless of playing baseball again, here he is. He comes back, smacks a grand slam. Just it's a great moment for a player who, you know, it looked like he might never play again. So I, I suppose that's why I made that case. But it was really more or less uh, just in jest there. But Mitch Haniger, God, wouldn't you want him to come back and play well? It's not like he's a long-standing Mariner, like, say, um, Kyle Seeger. But, look, he's shown ability. He's shown he can be a good right fielder. Good one. Not great, but good. He can definitely hit the ball. I mean, he, he can be an all-star level player. And if this team is going to contend, it's not that I'm... It's not that they need him. Because, look... That position is one that could be replaced. But while you have a player like that and you traded away Cattell Marte for him, wink, wink. You can't see the look on my face if you're just listening on the podcast, but it would be nice if he came back and fulfilled some of the potential that he showed. Because, I mean, lost, unfulfilled potential is something that we've seen all too much of around here for a lot of years. So Mitch Hanniger is going to, I mean, look, yeah, I want Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez and JP Crawford and Evan White and everybody else done Sheffield to succeed. Certainly. But if there's a player that I'm rooting for just a little harder, it's going to be Mitch Hanniger. Last topic here is Scott service. Prove it. There are not many Mariners, or excuse me, many managers in the major leagues who are around as long as service has been here, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, now we're in year six, who last that long without making the playoffs. In fact, I'm fairly certain that there are not any that are active. 
Is Don Matting? <laughs> I think Don Mattingly, as of two years ago, was the only one that I could find that was even close, uh, and that was when uh, that was when he was with the Marlins. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, he's still there, huh? Goodness. Let's see, how long has he been there? He's been there since 2016. Okay, so the same length, essentially. And they've been a heck of a lot worse. I mean, at least the, at least the Mariners have turned in some good records. And I think that Scott Service is the guy for the job. I mean, he, he seems to be on board with the game plan in terms of the way that these players are going to be used and following through on Jerry DePoto's plan. Some, there are times where I wonder behind the scenes if everything is okay in that relationship, just given that they haven't won and there's been some player mutinies. If you remember a couple of years ago with Gene Segura and um, uh, D Gordon or D strange Gordon, whatever he's <laughs> calling himself now. I mean, failure of certain players to develop. So it's not that, you can pin all that stuff on service. That wouldn't be fair. But, you know, managers get fired for lesser accomplishment than we've seen out of Scott Service. So if this team, for whatever reason, does not develop this year at the rate that is expected by the general manager, you have to at least wonder if they're going to go into year seven. I don't know if they... To warrant a firing. I don't know if something needs to be obviously wrong in the clubhouse other than, say, you know, just wins and losses. I mean, if, they, if they're not 500 this year, if they go, you know, I mean, if, certainly if they don't win more than 70 games, I think he's going to be gone then. But if they win like, you know, 78 games, they go 78 and 84 Something along those lines. Is that going to be enough? It's probably, if you were to ask Jerry DePoto and get an honest answer, it's probably not a set number. Like he has to make, he has to win this amount of games or he's gone. It's it's that plus probably some smaller details that only Jerry can see. Unless something goes very obviously wrong. But he is getting to that point now where, you know, we're going in, or excuse me, we're not going into, we're in year six now. So it is certainly prove it time for him. All right. Terrific show today. Really enjoyed talking to Rick Riz. Again, the show, if you're listening to this on the podcast, audio form only, thank you, thank you, thank you. Remember to subscribe, to rate, and to review. I've got this little post-it note right here on my computer to remind you guys of that. Subscribe, rate, and review. I know that you know you listen to your podcast and the hosts tell you guys to do this stuff, and I'm the same way. Like Sometimes I just don't do it. I don't know why. I have no idea why it's so hard for me. I mean, I do subscribe to some, but to go through and click the button that says rate, you know, five stars or review it. or I mean, giving a review takes maybe a few minutes of your time. But, you know, go ahead and just subscribe. If the second you subscribe, that means it's always going to pop up on your feed, whether it's you're subs uh, subscribing on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever it is. It just makes it a heck of a lot easier for you. That way you don't have to go and search it every time. You just say subscribe and then it comes to your feed like anything else. It'll be a heck of a lot easier that way. Plus it gives me credit 
you know, for having for somebody having downloaded the podcast. And that helps me to keep doing this so I don't have to worry about getting another job. (laughs) I want to do this for a living, people. In fact, right now I am doing it for a living. Wink, wink. All right. Subscribe, rate, review. Here's the thing about the podcast real quick. I'm going to get, I'm going to post one or two audio only podcasts a week. Okay. I am still going to continue to do shows, live shows on Twitch in addition to those. So you'll still get the same amount of shows I've been doing like three, three or four a week, even though in podcast form, there's only going to be one or two. And I'll decide, you know, as I go, which ones I want to post this podcast. But you can still subscribe on Twitch. In fact, eventually I may I may make those other shows on Twitch subscriber only. Right now, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to restrict it because I just want you guys to be able to, you know, watch the show and share and what, what we're doing here. So I won't restrict it yet. I'm not that cool. But for, but, uh, you know, again, just to let everybody know, be just because I'm doing this in podcast form now does not mean that I'm going to let up and suddenly have less content available. We're still going to go. All right, everybody. All right. We good.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.